Bible reading is from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Thanks. The reading is on um, page 890 of the, the Bibles in the church. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The second reading comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and that's on page 966 in the Bibles. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I have extorted anyone if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
Good evening. My name is Ed. I'm a student minister here at church, and it's really lovely to come to 5.30. This is my first time since you've launched at 5.30, so thank you for having me. Uh, I'm going to be preaching tonight on a topic, and uh, that topic is the topic of greed. Now, God really does have a sense of humor, because I decided some time ago that I was going to preach on this topic. And uh, around that same time, my wife and I also thought that we'd start looking to try and buy a house somewhere on the lower North Shore. As this sermon uh, loomed closer, so did the auction of a house that we really had fallen in love with. And it was a house in Mossman. And, uh, you know, and then here I am standing in front of you uh, trying to wrestle with God's word and also wrestle with my bank to try and extend the size of our home loan. Uh, and I arrive here on, on Sunday, um, a fellow contender with the sin of greed, and I've got the fresh battle wounds of a failed auction from last Saturday, and uh, we're ready to face God's word on this topic. I don't know about you, but I really feel like we need God's help as we do that. So let's come before God and ask for his help as we do this. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you don't want us to love, trust, or obey anything other than you. God, we love you, and so we don't want to give our hearts to idols. And so, God, we thank you that you speak words that are sometimes hard for us to hear. Give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, greed is our topic, identifying and contending with greed. And there's kind of two topics that, uh, two uh, headings that I want to explore this topic under tonight. Uh, the first is don't live in the grip of greed, and then how to live in the grip of grace. I've had two visuals in my mind as I've been thinking through this topic and wrestling with God's word on it. The first is the grip of greed. I'm thinking of a hand clutching, turning in on itself, stressed and anxious, really trying to cling on. And then I've got the vision of the grace of generosity, the grip of grace. And it's an open hand. It's free. It's open to God and open to others. And my intention tonight is to show how grace pries the fingers of greed out of our lives that we might live open-handed lives to God and to each other. Uh, uh, sorry, the, um, I guess there's all kind of different things that we can be greedy for in our lives. We could be greedy for food. Uh, we could be greedy for physical exercise. We could be greedy for a good reputation or people's opinions of us, praise. We could be greedy for the perfect marriage or the perfect family. But tonight we're specifically focusing on greed for material possessions for money, and for wealth. So let's begin by looking at the grip of greed. Greed is a very big issue. It's a difficult issue for us living in a Western materialist culture. It is the air that we breathe. Uh, where greed is a necessity of the continuous economic growth that we've been become accustomed to in our society. Greed is heard in the slogans, money makes the world go round. Or I, I like this slogan I read, money can't buy happiness, but sometimes it's better to cry in a Lamborghini. 
we've been trained we've been trained by advertisers and marketers to keep wanting more to always be dissatisfied we want our politicians to provide us with lower taxes and better living standards we go to the shops and we want lower prices greater range we uh we want to work less and get paid more and every year we have an expectation in australia that the material standards of living should get better and better when i lead uh, the christianity explored course and uh, we go around the table and we ask everyone in one word what do you think the problem with the world is and without fail every time the first second or third person will say greed we know greed is an issue but if you're anything like me you just don't know what to do with it as christians we do two things uh, we sometimes christianize it so we can engage in it or we polarize so we can dismiss it so we christianize it and we sort of say things like uh we use the virtue of hospitality to justify bigger houses and better better um grocery bills and that sort of stuff or we might uh use investing in in a ch- a ch- our children's upbringing as a means to engage in our own self indulgence uh one of the other things we do is we polarize and we say what so jesus just wants me to give up everything and live on the poverty line well and then all of a sudden we just wipe it off the floor and we can't engage with it one author uh, that i read said uh, perhaps the only way to escape greed is to die well i think god's got a much better solution than that and so let's get it let's get stuck into what the bible teaches about greed uh firstly we want to turn to to what jesus had to say about it now we're going to be flicking through uh, doing a bit of a survey of the scriptures tonight and so i'm going to have the bible passages on the powerpoint overhead so hopefully that enables you to follow along as we go so let's see what jesus had to say about greed Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell or any other sin and this is what he said watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions Jesus didn't have to say watch out for sexual immorality because you either know that you're having an affair or you don't but greed is deceitful it's deceptive and one of the chief weapons of greed is that of comparison we say i'm not greedy look at that person who turns up to church driving a jaguar and not only is greed deceptive it's also deadly hear these words from ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 every greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the messiah and of god greed is a sin that is keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven one of the reasons i feel really strongly about this issue and i really wanted to start wrestling with it and and getting my head and my heart around it was that i have a lot of discussions with other christians about the gay marriage debate and one of the arguments that christians bring about this debate is that we would be legalizing a form of lifestyle that is keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven but i would contend that greed is a sin that is keeping more people out of heaven than homosexual sin and the thing is as christians it's so easy isn't it to 
argue about something that's out there, that's out there that they're doing. Because for most of us it is, but greed is a sin that is in here. And it is far harder to do business. In every scripture that says that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, it also says that the greedy or the idolatrous will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to exhort us that we need to take this plank out of our own eye uh, in order that we might speak into the world and, and, and we might live countercultural lives that might provoke the world to listen when we speak on this debate. So how do we do business with this deceptive and deadly sin of greed? Well, part of the problem with greed is that it is relative. What might be greedy for you or might be generous for someone else? And what might be generous for you could be greedy for someone else. We need to acknowledge, though, uh, that we'll never solve the problem if we compare ourselves one to another. Because greed is first and foremost something that's happening between us and God. And that's most evident in the Apostle Paul's teaching in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, greed is idolatry. The reason that greed is so hard to identify and contend with is because it's ultimately a worship issue. It's what we worship, and what we worship affects all of who we are. It's like saying, stop being who you are. I found this book to be a really great help on this topic. It's a book called Beyond Greed by Brian Rosner. And Brian Rosner clarifies what it is that makes the idolatrous sin of greed so offensive to God. And he does it by sort of summarizing what it is that happens with our idols. He says that we love idols, we trust our idols, and we obey our idols. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to think about greed and how it engages us in disordered love, in misplaced trust, and in uh, forbidden service. So let's start with disordered love. What does disordered, the disordered love of greed look like? Well, no one actually loves money. I, I thought, worth trying this. Does anyone know whose face is on a $50 note? No one knows. We don't love this, but we know what we could do with it if, we get, if I gave it to you. And we love the things that money brings. We love the pleasure, the ease, the comfort, the status. What's going on between us and God in a disordered love? Well, money, wealth, and possessions are all good things. But when they become the things that we have to have to make us content, when they are the things that ultimately give us joy and pleasure, well, that is when we are beginning to deeply grieve God. And what did Jesus say is the most important command? Have a look. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God wants our hearts, friends. He wants our hearts, and he doesn't want us having to contend, he doesn't want to contend for our hearts with the idols of greed. So how do we identify disordered loves in our lives? This has been another helpful book. It's by Tim Keller. It's called Counterfeit Gods. And he suggests uh, that you can Identify disordered loves by looking at your daydreams. Where does your mind wander to? Where might you be happy just wasting an hour thinking about? 
he also suggests that where you spend your money freely and unquestioningly can reveal where your loves are. On, you might spend your money on your home, on a hobby, on a car, on your grocery bill. You might spend it on the gospel. These questions raise that bigger question of who is the love of our hearts? Well, what do we do about disordered loves? The solution is not to stop loving because that is what your heart was made for. The solution is to move aside these bad loves and set your heart on true love. Let's think about misplaced trust. What does misplaced trust look like? Greed doesn't have to look flashy. Someone who is trusting in their money, wealth, or possessions could drive a second-hand car. But their security might be in their savings account. They might think that peace lies in their property portfolio. You know what we say, it's as safe as houses. Or they might think that protection comes from having good insurance. What's going on between us and God in our misplaced trust? What did Jesus say in his reading before? He said it's an issue between us and our Heavenly Father. It's a father, it's the care of a father that we are insulting. He says, for idolaters seek after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, I've got a six-year-old son. And imagine what it would be like if my son came to me and said, Dad, I just, I'm going to go out and get some work. I'm just worried if we come across hard times. You know, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm safe and secure. That would be such an affront to my fatherly care for him. And I guess that's kind of what we do to God. Uh, we say, I just need this stuff to, to keep me safe, God, just in case. I think many of us, though, we, we probably do believe that if we're willing to push it, God could meet our needs. But we don't just want our needs met. We want our wants met. And we're not sure that God's going to give us our wants. And so we need to secure them and protect them and, and put up protection around them and ins- take insurance out against them. Many people have testified that hard financial times have really taught them the freedom of relying and trusting in a loving Heavenly Father. How do we identify misplaced trusts in our lives? Tim Keller suggests that they're observed in our nightmares. What things we might fear being taken away. Tim Sims is a Christian businessman and he's also the owner of Australia's largest private equity firm. And I've heard him addressing crowds of people on three occasions in the last year. And on all three occasions, Tim Tim has mentioned that he thinks we are on the verge of a global economic meltdown. And when you hear that, where does your heart or your mind run for safety? to a diversified share portfolio, to the Sydney housing market and and its resilience through tough times, or to your loving Heavenly Father, a Heavenly Father who loves us and knows us and will meet our needs. What can we do about misplaced trust? We need to just recognize that it just doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. Jesus said, if you build your life on anything other than me, it won't stand the storms of life. 
It won't stand through life storms, and it certainly won't stand through that final storm of God's judgment. So we need to repent of misplaced trust. We need to stop trusting in created things, and we need to entrust ourselves to our creator. We just need to stop and think about it, don't we? What's better, having stuff in our hands to keep us safe or having our lives in the hands of our loving Heavenly Father? Well, that which we love and that which we trust, we end up having to obey in forbidden service. So what does forbidden service look like? Jesus said in our reading from Matthew before, He said, you cannot be slaves of God and money. Now, I don't think anyone would ever think that they are a servant of money. We think that money serves us. But since we need money to get the things that we love, and since we need it to keep us safe and secure, we work these huge hours in our jobs. We sacrifice our health our marriages, our children, or much more to get it. And money is just a cruel master. Because as soon as you get it, what does it tell you? You haven't got enough. 20% more, you'll be happy. Back to work. We mortgage ourselves right up to the hilt so that we're effectively put in servitude to our banks. We can't serve God at church because we're too busy always having to serve at work. What's going on between us and God in forbidden service? Well, we're enslaved to a terrible and cruel master. Romans 6.16 says, We are slaves to whatever we obey. Now, we might drift into this servitude, but God says that what, uh, that, that he, oh God, God never wants us to be serving anything or anyone other than a good master. He wants to set us free from this terrible master. What do we do about forbidden service? The Bible tells us that everyone is serving something or someone. And some of us sitting here today will know the pain of being in servitude to money, to possessions. But we need to be set free from that cruel master. We need to be released to serve a good and loving master. And that's our second point today, living in the grip of grace. It's what happened to Zacchaeus. We read about Zacchaeus before. Zacchaeus was a man thoroughly gripped by greed. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors in his day uh, were people who collected taxes for the ruling Roman Roman, uh, authorities. And they would scrape extra money off the top for themselves. And by this means, Zacchaeus had become very rich But he was deeply hated. He was full of insecurities. He was was riddled with anxieties, enslaved by his greed. But one day, Zacchaeus met Jesus. Zacchaeus met the love that his heart had always been made for. Zacchaeus met the one that our lives were made to entrust ourselves to. Zacchaeus met the one who is a good and loving master, And he wants to give us life and life to the full. Zacchaeus went from being gripped by greed to being gripped by the grace of Jesus. Zacchaeus met Jesus as he was on his way to Jerusalem. 
He was on his way to Jerusalem where Jesus would die a sinner's death. He would die utterly impoverished. Jesus died with only his underpants in his possession. Literally nothing to his name. And Jesus died that death to satisfy God's righteous jealousy against our misplaced, our our disordered loves. To satisfy God's anger against our misplaced trusts. And to set us free. To set us free from the masters that ensnare us. And to free us to live for God. The Apostle Paul summarizes it best. And I thought we might read this verse together because these are wonderful words that capture living in the grip of grace. Let's read these words together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, you might become rich. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it breaks the grip of greed. It pries the fingers of greed out of our lives and frees us to live grace-filled lives, open-handedness towards God and towards others. So I must ask you, have you repented of the sin of greed? Have you entrusted your life to the one who loves us? Have you made Jesus your first love? Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus, the only trustworthy one? Have you asked Jesus to be your good Lord and Master? If you have, then God has given us two wonderful weapons as we seek to live in this grip of grace. He's given us the gift of generosity, uh, the, the grace of contentment, and the gift of generosity. Do you remember what Jesus said as he went to Zacchaeus' house and dined with Zacchaeus and the, the sinners at his house? Today, salvation has come to this household. Zacchaeus found in Jesus the love and the acceptance that his heart had always longed for. When we're content in God, we can open up our hands and we can, like Zacchaeus, we can let go of stuff because we've always got the one thing that we really need. We've always got God's rich love for us. I think about my friends, Matt and Lisa Pearson. These guys have long had a dream of going to the Northern Territory to serve as missionaries in an Aboriginal community. That dream is fast becoming a reality for these guys. Uh, next year, they will go down to, finish the, uh, to complete their training with the Church Missionary Society, CMS, in Melbourne. And the CMS guidelines for them is to pack one box of worldly possessions per family member. So this family of five people are going to pack all their stuff into five boxes as they go down to Melbourne and complete their training. Just the other day, Matt had to sell his coffee machine, too big to fit in the box, a coffee machine that he loves, but he loves Christ more, and so he can let go of it. I'm so provoked by these friends of mine because... They're doing what Jesus did. They're intentionally becoming poorer in order that they might make others richer. They are content in the love of Christ. And some of you will know that wonderful joy of being free to give stuff up. And praise God for that. But there is no silver bullet. 
It doesn't just happen. It's an ongoing journey. I sat with a minister, a retired minister. Uh, he, he'd spent, uh, he's now using his retirement to plant new churches in Sydney. He's only ever had one car, and he bought his first new piece of furniture after 42 years of marriage. And he was struggling with greed. He was wrestling with it still. There's no silver bullet. It's about falling more in love with Jesus and less in love with our stuff. But one surefire way to speed up that process is with the grace of generosity. Generosity is not only a really great way for us to show our love for God, it also is a huge declaration of our trust in him. Like listen to this, listen to this act of generosity from a member of our own church just the other week. She was sharing with me how she's been struggling to get together the finances to pay regularly for her grocery bill. And uh, she went to the shops the other day to do her groceries and she came across a distressed elderly man at the checkout who didn't have enough for his groceries. And you know what she thought? I've got to pay for his groceries. And so she paid for his groceries and then she got worried. But what was she worrying about? She wasn't worrying about how she'd afford her groceries. She was worried that she didn't get a chance to tell him that God loved him, that this was a gift from God. But later, this man came back and found her because he was so overwhelmed by her generosity. And she was able to say, God bless you. And she was overwhelmed with that joy of being able to partake in generosity. And many of us know that wonderful joy of giving generously to others. Giving so that it even hurts. I've been praying that there would be amongst us champions of generosity in our church. Uh, People like Zacchaeus who engage in history-making generous acts. What did he do on that day that he met Jesus? Do you remember? He said, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Half of my possessions. I wonder if any time in our lives, I I wonder if you've ever had a nard moment. Do you know what a nard moment is? Nard is that bottle of expensive perfume are worth about a year's wages that a woman brought and cracked over Jesus' feet. That's In today's standards, that's $74,000 cracked and poured out on Jesus' feet in an act of generosity and love and, and worship of God. I wonder when was the last time that you or I just splurged on God? And we're quite good at splurging on ourselves. But when was the last time you thought, let's just go all out and do something risky for God? The gentleman who wrote this book, um, his name's Craig Blomberg. The book's called Neither Poverty Nor Riches. He really helpfully shares in the index of this book uh, some of the, the ways that he and his wife seek to let the grace of God shape the way they use their finances. And he shared that in the year that they published this book, he and his wife had successfully been able to give away 30% of their income for three years in a row. I'm really thankful that he was willing to share that. Because if no one shares, then we don't know what to do. We don't know, uh, we have no examples to follow. I remember a, a pastor saying to me, it's easier to ask a guy if they're sleeping with their girlfriend than it is to ask them what they do with their wallet. Uh, we keep it so private. Uh, I want to exhort us to have accountability, 
to share with one another, uh, those maybe in your pod or in your hive, and, and generate a culture of pushing each other to be more and more generous. Uh, if it might help, I thought I could explain a little bit about how my wife and I tried to get our heads around getting a home loan. Uh, we began by planning out our giving. When I used to work at church before going to college, Paul advised the staff to give 12% of our income to church uh, under the thoughts that grace should require more than, than law. So let's up it from, from a tithe. So we've tried to do that and we've tried to give on top of that. And then what we tried to do is work out how much could we uh, continue to, to live a generous life? What could we afford that wouldn't curb opportunities to be generous to others, to live freely, to not be burdened and enslaved by debt? And you know, with this house that we really fell in love with, what was the first thing we started toying with moving around? That, that freedom to be generous. I'm sad to say that, but... Uh, we're so quick to think about shortchanging God so we can advance ourselves. I pray that we would uh, let the grace, uh, the, the gift of grace, uh, the grip of grace, grab our lives and that we would live wonderfully generous lives towards God and towards one another. Friends, money, wealth and possessions are good, good gifts from God. But they also do pose a constant threat to our hearts, to our love, to our trust, and our service of God. But only Jesus, only Jesus can set us free from the grip of greed. Only Jesus can fill our hearts and make us deeply content in his love. Only Jesus can loosen that grip of greed in our lives to let us hold our possessions in a loose hand. Only Jesus is worthy of our complete trust and dependence. And so our prayer should be that we would let Jesus grip us more and more. In a moment, we're going to take an opportunity to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who became poor to the point of death, in order to make us rich. We're going to hold symbols of Jesus pouring out his life for us to make us rich in our hands, bread and juice. But before we do that, we're going to take a moment to reflect on our own lives. And we're going to reflect and we're going to confess the ways that we've failed to love, trust and obey God. And then together we're going to pray a prayer of corporate confession. And then the musicians will, will lead us as we sing and worship God. Let's take a moment to come and confess privately to God. Let's confess together with the words that are on the screen above. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge with shame the sins we have committed, 
by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for all our misdoings. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that from this time forward we may serve and please you in newness of life, to the honour and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.